Parashas Baloischa includes the famous story of Pesach Sheni, which is preceded by the Torah telling us that this was the occasion a year after leaving Egypt when the Jewish people brought a carbon Pesach in the desert. Rashi tells us that this section is not placed in chronological order and really belongs before the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar. The question is, why is Rashi making a big deal about this now when he's already mentioned to us numerous times that the Torah is not always presented in chronological order? Rashi also tells us that it is to the discredit of the Jewish people that they only brought the Karban Pesach once in the 40 years in the desert. What is he really trying to tell us and how does that tie back to this chronological misnomer about this story? Quoting the Pasuk, it says, In the second year, after the Exodus, on the first month of the year, telling them as follows that they have to bring a Korban Pesach. That is a Pasuk, it is a Pasuk that deals with Hashem's instruction to the Jewish nation to bring the Korban Pesach, which then led us afterwards to the story of the Pesach Sheni. So, Rashi quotes those two words, it was in the first month, or Pirush and explains, Parsha Shebarois HaSefer, the Parsha at the beginning of Bamidbar, Loi Nemra Ad Iyar, was only told in ER of that year. From here you learn that there is no specific chronological order in Torah, which we'll explain in detail. But we need to understand the principle that not everything in the Torah is presented chronologically, we already know from beforehand. There are many psukim that illustrate this point, and Rashi explains it. And the first place we see Rashi address it is take of a parasha, at the end of parashas Bereshis, Rashi already draws our attention to the fact that there's not specifically chronology in Torah. Where is that? The pasuk that says, the Abishta says, I'm not going to, so to speak, tolerate judging the Jewish, the, the, the human race, and they will live for 120 years. Rashi explains that actually this, this was said earlier, but it's only recorded now. And there are various other examples you can look through, Chumash, you'll find many. In fact, some of them are not so far from us. This very fact, the fact that Parashas Bamidbar, the beginning of Bamidbar, is actually later chronologically than this story, is something that Kfar Yodua Mikodim we already know. So Rashi is not even telling us information over here that is surprising to us. And when our parasha Shenomadnu Ze'ato, where do we know it from? The parasha we've just learned. That is Manam Shel Karbonus and Asim Beferish Bokosov. The Torah tells us clearly when did the Nasim bring their 12 Karbonus to initiate the Mizbeach. That started at the day that Moshe completed putting up the Mishkan. When was that? That was Rosh Nisan. If that's the case, and we already know that, then we already know at that point, not only that there's not necessarily always chronology in Torah, but that Bamidbar is not in chronological order. Because the very opening parasha of Bamidbar is only stated in ER, and the whole segment of Parshas Nasa, which speaks about the Nasim, is before that in Parshas, in Parshas, uh, sorry, in Chodesh Nisan. The amazing thing is Rashi doesn't say a word about it there, even though that's the most obvious and first place where we should see that Bamidbar is not in chronological order. In fact, even in Parashas Nasai, even earlier, there's another example of the lack of chronology in Bamidbar, and that is the instruction that David gives that if a person has certain impurities, they have to be removed from the camp. Or Pirish Rashi, Rashi tells us, This parasha was told on the day the Mishkan was put up, which is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So now we have three examples in this immediate context of Ein Muktam Umochar Batayra, Vim Kain Mausha Kosav Rashi Lomat Tokan. Why is Rashi only now in the third instance saying, Now we learn? which seems to imply that this concept of a lack of chronology in Torah appears in this scenario of being told about the Korban Pesach for the first time. It's by far not the first time. So we have to pay attention to Rashi's language to understand what exactly he's saying here compared to any previous instance of telling us that something is misplaced chronologically.
Babirba's explanation is this. Hachidush Khan, what Rashi is innovating here, is not that there are certain things that are placed in a non-chronological order, but rather, She'en Seder Muktamum Uchobetayra. That the Torah is not designed specifically in a Seder of chronology. That language, Seder Muktamum Uchor, is not a term that Rashi has used yet. What has he said before? Wherever Rashi has said, there's no specific chronology in Torah. It's a comment on a specific section. Or a specific incident. Or a specific thing that David just says. Where Rashi is showing us, this thing is shared in the Torah outside of the chronology of when it actually happened. Nobody here is bothered by why is this out of place? Because the Torah is not a history book. Which is intended to give us the chronology of exactly when each thing happened in order or when it was said in order. So it's not such a burning question. Rashi doesn't address it. All he does is, any other occasion where Rashi says, just by the way, note, this is not placed in a chronological space. It's only because Rashi doesn't want you to misunderstand when the event happened or when the instruction was given. Because Rashi obviously is concerned with a simple understanding of the Pasuk either in immediate context or possibly elsewhere. So he wants to avoid confusion. Don't think that something doesn't make sense because of when this was told to us. It wasn't told us at the time that it happened. But he's not commenting on the principle that the Torah doesn't have to be chronological. That explains why the example we just used, where earlier the Torah said, where we said that the Nesim started to bring their Korbanus in Chodesh Nisan. Why doesn't Rashi say, hang on, that's before Parshas Bamidbar. Or the other example, which is the instruction about sending Mitzurayim and other people who are impure outside of the camp. Rashi also doesn't say, by the way, this was mentioned Earlier than Parshas Because in other places, maybe Rashi needs to explain when something happened. It doesn't have to explain when. The Torah tells us when it happened. So when does Rashi jump in and say, this doesn't belong here, it actually belongs elsewhere? When you can't tell from the Pasuk that it doesn't belong here, and Rashi has to alert us based on other information that he knows, so that you don't make the mistake of thinking this happened here. But when the Torah tells us clearly, this happened on this particular date, Rashi doesn't have to jump in and say, just by the way, note, in case you didn't notice, this is actually before Parshas Bamidbar. And in the example of the instructions about sending impure people outside of the camp, where the Torah does not specifically say when this instruction was given, so Rashi does tell us. Rashi tells us the time frame, and then he doesn't have to also say, and it's out of order, because it's not going to make a difference to our understanding of the Pasuk, whether or not we know if it's in chronological order. Whereas in our scenario, we see something different. What do we see different? We see that the Torah is kind of drawing our attention to the unchronological nature of this event. Here, the Torah seems to emphasize Dafka when the instructions were given, all the particular events happened. Let's start with the one closest to us, our parasha. Look how careful the Torah is about the timing. It's the second year after they've left Egypt. In the first month, Lamar saying. Okay, that's very clear. The Torah wants us to know when this happened. Likewise, at the beginning of Bamidbar, it doesn't just say at the time of a particular event, it tells us a date. The beginning of the second month in the second year, let's say, when the Jews came out of Egypt. So you've got these two stories that are very close in proximity. And in both cases, the Torah is specifically telling us the exact date each story happened. 
And yet, and at the same time that the Torah is making a big deal about telling us the dates when they happened, at the same time the Torah is putting them in reverse order. First the events that happen in Er, and then the events that happen in Nisan. That draws Rashi's attention. Val came for it, Rashi lomadito. That's where Rashi says, from here you've learned something now. Here the Torah is teaching us something we wouldn't necessarily have known. That the Torah does not follow a seder of things that have to follow chronological order. Even in a scenario where the Torah wants us to know when things were told or when things happened. Which would give you the impression You would assume if you're giving me the dates and times It's because you want to know the order in which these things happened That's exactly the point That's exactly what the Torah is showing us now Even though the dates are relevant to their individual stories The dates are not relevant to the flow of all of the stories And it doesn't have to be in chronological order so now we've answered that. Rashi is showing us something. The Torah, even when mentioning dates, does not have to place them chronologically because that is not the purpose of Torah. Hold that thought. It will become relevant later to what we're about to ask about Rashi next, which is, Rashi continues, Why, in fact, did the Torah not start with this, the story which happens in Chodesh Nisan about the Korban Pesach? Why did it skip to Iyar when it started uh, Sefer Bar Midbar and then come back to the story later? Says Rashi, because this story is a story that does not show the Jews in a positive light. And why not? For 40 years, the hidden way in the desert, they only brought one carbon Pesach, this one we're reading about in this parasha. Okay, now, at first glance, that doesn't seem to make any sense. Rashi, you've just told me that the Torah does not follow chronological order. So therefore, we have no expectation that things have to be in order. So then why immediately after us are you asking the question, so why Taka wasn't the first parish to mention first? We don't need it to be first. We just learned. You've just told me, Rashi, that the Torah does not have to follow a chronological order. How is your very next question, why not? In fact, if you go back to what would appear to be Rashi's source, the Gemara in Psachim, once the Gemara arrives at the conclusion that these two juxtaposed parishes show us that there is no order to the chronology in which Torah stories are told, the Gemara doesn't ask the same question as Rashi. So why Taka didn't the, the, the Torah start Sefer Bamidbar with this story? And the Sifri, which would be apparently Rashi's other potential source, also doesn't do the same thing. So we'll try and draw a distinction now between the language Rashi uses and the language the Sifri uses and see if we could use that to answer this question. Why it is that straight after saying the Torah does not have to be chronological, Rashi says, so why isn't it? We'll see that it's not a satisfactory answer. We'll have to give a different answer. It's the easiest way to answer would have been. What did Rashi say? Now you've learned. Shaloika Sifri, which is subtly different to what the Sifri says. The Sifri says, The Torah did this intentionally in order to teach you. Shain said that there's no specific chronology in Torah. Rashi didn't say that. Right? According to the Sifri, the Torah deliberately changed the order of how these stories were told. To educate us, the language of the Sifri, that there is no chronology in Torah. Whereas Rashi's view says, You have now learned. What's he saying? What he's telling us is, it's not that the Torah rearranged the order of these stories to teach you that there's no chronology. It's rather that we are able to work out from the fact that the Torah here is not in order. It helps us to appreciate that there's no Seder. But the Torah didn't do this to make that point. The Torah already makes the point in various places. 
So, according to the Sifri, we understand why the order is reversed, so that it will teach you, according to Rashi, that the Torah is not here changing the order of the events to teach me that principle. So then the question is, so why did it change the order of the events? Because as an axiom, any time that the Torah doesn't present something in chronological order, there has to be a reason. The Torah doesn't just do it haphazardly. And there's got to be a reason for it. So maybe that's Rashi's explanation. There is a reason why the Torah reversed the order. It's not to teach me, so why is it there? Oh, it's to teach me that unfortunately this shines a poor light on the Jewish people. We didn't want to open a whole Sefer of Torah with a negative attitude towards the Jewish people. But that's not absolutely clear as an answer for two reasons. If that's the case. If Rashi's big concern is, so why did the Torah reverse the order? Then Rashi shouldn't be asking, why didn't the Torah start with our parasha and the story of the Korban Pesach? The question should have been, first of all, the question should be, why change the order at all? And the question is, why put that parasha first? So don't say, why didn't you put this parasha first? Rashi should have phrased this question as not, why didn't you start with the story of Karim Pesach? His question should have been, why did the Torah change the order from its chronology? And why did it start with a different parasha at the beginning? One other nuance that we've got to analyze over here by Rashi is listen to the language. Why does Rashi say, why didn't it open the book with this story? Why didn't he just say, why didn't it put the story first? Or anything else which would have emphasized the chronology. Pasach seems to be emphasizing why it wasn't chosen as the opener to the book. That's not necessarily a chronological question. Okay, in order to understand this, let's ask another question. What exactly is so poor about the Jewish people's performance that the Torah does not want to speak about? Let's understand Rashi's answer. He says we don't want to start with a story because it's a, a negative story about the Jews. That for 40 years in the desert they only brought the Karm Pesach once. Okay, what's so bad about that? I mean, it sounds terrible, right? But is it terrible? Maybe it's completely halachically compliant. What is so critical of the Jewish people over here? What is so degrading about them? Rashi has already told us that the way that the Torah tells us the mitzvah of Karim Pesach is that you're supposed to do it when you get to Eretz Yisrael. So, they don't have to bring a Korban Pesach for all the years they're in the desert. Rashi says, and the only time they ever had an obligation to bring a Korban Pesach in the desert was this time in our parasha because it was a unique direct instruction from the Eibishter. Well, there you have it. The Torah is pretty clear that you're supposed to bring a Korban Pesach in Eretz Yisrael. Then not only should we not be annoyed or critical of the Jews that they did not bring the Karim Pesach another 39 times in the desert, they actually wouldn't be allowed to. You're not allowed to bring a Karim on a Mizbech if you were not instructed to bring the Karim on a Mizbech. And in fact, the one and only time they brought a carbon Pesach in the desert was with a specific instruction from Hashem. So what's the big shanda? What's the big crisis? That Nebuch, we don't want to talk about an embarrassing story. The Jews didn't bring the carbon Pesach for 40 years. They couldn't. 
So we'll see that Tosus and Mefarshah Rashi Mevarim Tosus and others who comment on Rashi try to explain that what it means is that I know Genusan Shenishtoli Kanis Larsad Mem Shonim Ipnei Avoy Namiraglim. Well, we know that the reason they were in the desert for so long was because of poor behavior on their behalf, because they fell into the trap of the Miraglim's poor report about Israel, and that's what's degrading about it. Okay, that may be factual. But it doesn't fit the simple understanding of the Pasuk, which is what Rashi is out to achieve for a couple of reasons. First of all, this whole story we're reading right now in this section of the Torah doesn't mention a word about the fact that there'd be a delay going into Eretz because of the Miraglim. The Adra, but to the contrary, you know where we're at in the story? We're before the Miraglim. This is the parasha where Moshe tells the Yidin, we're now going to that place they wish to chose for us. Or Perish Rashi, Rashi says, when are we going? We're going to be in Eretz Yisrael the next three days. They're now traveling with an intention to reach Eretz Yisrael. There is nothing in the context of the Psukim that hints at the fact that they're going to be delayed or going to lose their faith in Hashem or anything negative. So why is Rashi dredging up some negativity over the fact that they have not brought a Korban Pesach or did not later bring the Korban Pesach in, in the desert? Bayes ve'ikar, an even more fundamental issue with this is, lefize, according to this, harei, hagnosi v'kach shenishtol likonis l'aretz ha'mem shona, v'loi b'akravus ha'pesach. If this is correct, that what's negative for the Jewish people is 40 years delay in the desert, well, that's not a negative thing about the Korban Pesach. That's a much broader issue that they delayed going into Eretz Yisrael. And furthermore, im noi mashadov and echshav lignos, let's say that being delayed from going into Eretz Yisrael is a black mark on the Jewish people's record, then it's not only a problem with the Korban Pesach. There are many other mitzvahs you cannot do until you get to Eretz Yisrael. So why are we focusing on the Korban Pesach? Why don't we say it's a gnus for the Jewish people that they delayed all these mitzvahs at Luyus Baretz? There's no reason logically to peg whatever disadvantage we're looking at over here, specifically on the carbon Pesach. Truth is, any other mitzvah which is dependent on being in Israel is even worse than the Korban Pesach. Why? Because the Jews didn't even get to do it once. Korban Pesach, at least they did it once. But Shemitah, Bikurim, Chala, whatever it is, they never got to do. That's terrible. You've delayed ever doing a mitzvah for some people for their whole lives. So what's Rashi really telling us about this so-called degradation of the Jewish people that the Torah doesn't want to speak about? Well, why don't we ask the question from a different perspective? If there's something negative that the Torah does not want to stick in the beginning of a sefer of the Chumash, why does the Torah want to speak about it at all? As we've quoted, Rashi says, we didn't want to start Sefer Bamidbar with something which is so negative about the, the Jewish people, which doesn't really seem to make sense, because if the Torah would prefer to avoid discussing something which is negative about the Yidden, then don't talk about it at all. You don't have to mention it at all. I mean, move on is there, the fact that the Torah does mention it, then it indicates that the Torah's main concern is not to open a book of the Torah with a negative story. Why? Because we'll see that there's a theme through Torah, the opening of a Sefer of Chumash, and by extension, the opening of any new concept, should always focus on highlighting how cherished the Jewish people are, not how disadvantaged we might be. And look, here you'll see, you'll see the theme right through the Torah. Look at these three books. Which are all Sifrei Sfarim of Chumash that speak about the Yidden specifically. They all start, they all start about something, about how much Tebisha cherishes us. Look, Rashi does this. The beginning of each of the three books 
He tells us this beginning tells us how much Hashem loves us. He says, why does, the, why does Hashem count the Yidin by name? To show how much he loves us. Why does David call Moshe before addressing him? Because there's, before there's any message or instruction to the Jewish people, Hashem calls the person who's going to convey that instruction to show that he loves the people. And then, of course, ours, Bamidbar Sinimitechibos, in the font of Moinoi, some called Shorashi, tells us that Sefer Bamidbar starts with the census of the Jewish people because we're so precious to Hashem, that's why He's always counting us. So, those are the three Sfarim of Chumash that speak directly about the Jewish people, and Sefer Beratius, which speaks broadly about creation and, and all of humankind, also emphasizes the, how beloved the Jewish people are. Beratius describes the creation of everything. Rashi starts off by saying, Why does they just start the Torah with Beratius and not which is an instruction, which is the purpose of Torah? And he explains that Debishter wanted to show the world that he is in control so that he could give the portion originally assigned to the Canaanite nations to the Jewish people. In other words, showing that he loves us. Now, because we have Beratius and certainly Shmois and Bayikra that illustrate to us the opening of each book of Torah is with a message of how beloved the Jewish people are. You have to conclude that if Rashi asks over here, he doesn't say, why does it start with Bamidbar? Obviously, why it makes sense to start with Bamidbar because that illustrates how beloved the Jewish people are. But Rashi specifically asks, why doesn't it start with the story of the Korban Pesach? That implies, must be because Rashi believes that the story of the Korban Pesach illustrates the beloved nature of the Jewish people. Which is a good reason to use it as the parasha to open the book of Bamidbar. And therefore Rashi's surprised that it doesn't happen. And he asks, Why didn't it start with this parasha? Okay, so what about this parasha tells us how much Hashem loves us? Well, we'll see that not only does each book of the, of the Chumash start off with a story about how cherished the Jewish people are, it actually increases in how, in extent, in, in how much Hashem loves us. Bi'ur Hadavar. Here's the explanation. The vast majority of Sefer Vayikra are instructions from Hashem to the Jewish people following the construction of the Mishka. Those are the instructions. Basically, the book of Bamidbar speaks about other instructions as well, but more importantly, the application and the conduct of the Jewish people following those instructions. That's a step forward, right? It's a step up from just being told what to do when you're actually doing it. Therefore, it makes sense. If the book of Bamidbar, which speaks about human, the Jewish conduct and how we're following what Hashem wants, this, the opening of the book should be to Yemen, a story that speaks about our greatness. In a scenario where we did what Hashem told us. What's a great example of that? The Pasuk tells us they did the Karm Pesach as Hashem instructed. That's a perfect opener for the book of Bamidbar. This is the book about the Jewish conduct following the Abishta's instructions, and therefore there's even more beloved to Hashem. Well, here you go. Here's the first story in this where it says they did exactly what Abishta told them. Perfectly. Every Jew fulfilled the mitzvah in the best way possible in the Mishkan. They brought the Karm Pesach, and it was so perfect that those who couldn't have the opportunity felt completely left out and complained. Yes, granted, the story of counting the Yidden, which was, after all, chosen as the opener to Bamidbar, does illustrate how precious we are to Hashem. Nevertheless, First of all, our story comes first chronologically, should be placed at the opening of the Sefer. 
There's a story of preciousness, Tashem. There's a story of preciousness, preciousness Tashem. Take the one that happened first, surely. But besides that, the concept of Hashem showing His love for us by counting us isn't news to us. We know that information already from the beginning of of the book of Shmois. That's another reason why you should start with our parasha, which is not just news we've already heard, it's actual news. And not only that, beyond that, let's assume that we had actually started Sefer Bamidbar with the story of the Korban Pesach. Then we would have had a beautiful ascension of how much Hashem loves us from book to book. Sefer Shmois would say, Debeshe loves us because we're us. And Debeshe would illustrate that by saying, I want to count you because you're valuable to me. Would go one step beyond that, the beginning of Ayikra. Not only does Debeshe love us because we're us, but he loves us because of the instructions he's going to give us, which we'll follow. That would have been illustrated by the fact that before he gives an instruction to us, he calls the instructor, in this case Moshe, showing his love for us. Wow. You can actually see this reflected in Rashi's words where he says, That this being called before you get the information is something that is universal for all messages and all instructions. Not only for those instructions which are unique to Moshe. Look how Rashi concludes it. That Rashi is comparing our prophets to Lahavdil non Jewish prophets to David that gives like a backhanded message. Illustrating that it's not because Moshe has something special even compared to our prophets. No, it's our prophets have something special compared to the non-Jewish prophets. So Shmois would say, we're wonderful people because Debeshter loves us. Vayikra would say, and he cherishes us to therefore create a very unique response, uh, 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 relationship with us through the beautiful way in which he gives us instructions. And then we'd go to the next level. The open of the next book which follows. Sefer by Midbar would have been Look how beautiful the Jews are. Debeshte loves us. Debeshte instructed us. After the putting up the Mishkan. And he gave us a mitzvah, which is a unique mitzvah. Which is a unique mitzvah? He gave us a mitzvah that technically we were not required to do. As far as the Torah's definition of the Korban Pesach, you only bring it when you get to Israel. So now we're in the desert. We're not required to bring it. And yet David gives us a unique instruction in the second year. Bring this Korban Pesach, even though you don't have to. That in itself will tell you, wow, look how beautiful we are to Hashem. He wants to give us an opportunity for a mitzvah we're not even expected to do. And not only is He giving us the opportunity, we take the opportunity and we keep this mitzvah. And we don't only bring the korban, but we bring it in a perfect way. Way as the Torah attests. They did everything that the Ebrister wanted. Wow, that would be amazing. So why doesn't the, the, the book start with a story? Yes, sir, al And especially when you think about this more deeply, this story would express two different things. Our beloved status and why are we so beloved? Because look how much we want to do what the Ebishter wants. How much we want to do it? To the extent that even though there were some people excluded from the Korban Pesach because of their impurity, they didn't take it sitting down and they complained. Why should we lose out not to bring the Korban? That would be beautiful. Look how amazing the story is. It talks up the belovedness of the Jewish people. And v'chein, beyond that, not only did they complain, but look how much the Ebishter must love us. 
that they should have heard them and accepted the complaint. And he gave an opportunity to bring a second Korban Pesach. Pesach Sheni. So this is what's bothering Rashi. Why didn't Sefer Bamidbar start with this story? It aligns with the beginnings of Shmois and Vayikra and even Bereshis and only more so. What a beautiful story. And instead, the Torah chose just to rehash something we already know, that Abishta loves us, therefore he counts us. Says Rashi, because this story itself, believe it or not, as beautiful as it is, has a sting in the tail. In other words, the fact that Pesach Sheni happened is why the 40 years in the desert reflects badly on the Jewish people. Rashi, Rashi answers, it's a poor reflection on the Jews. For 40 years they were in the desert. And they only brought that one carbon Pesach. We've just been shown in this parasha the tremendous value we have to the Ebishtah. Firstly, because the Ebishtah gives us an opportunity to bring a carbon Pesach when we are not required. And then beyond that, he gives an opportunity for those who missed it to catch up. Both of those things, they actually land up, unfortunately, highlighting our, our weakness. Why? Yes, it is accurate that the Torah made it that you only bring the current pace when you get to Israel. But everybody can acknowledge that carbon Pesach is not the same as any other mitzvah which is only to be done in Israel. Why? Because all of those other mitzvahs If you have a mitzvah a mitzvah that depends on being in Israel there's no way to do that mitzvah unless you are in Israel. Let's look at some examples. Needless to say, any agriculturally based mitzvah, which are mitzvahs that depend on being in the geographical location of Israel, because they are dependent on these are mitzvahs that can only apply to Jewish produce in the Jewish land. But even, for example, the idea of going through the process of redeeming a firstborn donkey, which is not product of Israel, doesn't grow out of the earth of Israel. And yet, at least there's one view for sure that Rashi quotes that says it could only happen in Eretz Yisrael once they got to Eretz Yisrael. What's common to any mitzvah that is dependent on being in Israel is that the mitzvah does not exist until you're in Israel. But technically you could bring a Korban Pesach in the desert because you have a Mishkan, you have a Mizbech, you're allowed to bring it. Just that practically the Ebeshter didn't expect us to do it. But could we do it if we wanted to? Possibly. We actually see it in our parasha. There's this tiny handful of people who bang down the door and say, we are left out and we don't want to be left out. How can we bring a Karm Pesach? And because of their enthusiasm, the Ebeshter introduces a law that previously was unknown to have a second chance, Pesach Sheni, to allow these little group, this little group of people to be able to bring the Korban Pesach. Which, by the way, is We don't find any similar scenario with any other mitzvah and certainly not any other Korban because with any other Korban, normally a Korban, if you miss the date, you missed it. That's it. You cannot catch it up. Therefore, Mr. Eresa you read the story and straight away you have to think of the question of Afilu, Leven Chomesh Lemikro, even the five-year-old learning Chomesh for the first time. is like, whoa, what's going on over here? How could it be that the Yidin would spend 39 other years in the desert? They never asked the Ebishter why we're being left out of the Korban Pesach opportunity year on year. 
They never expressed their yearning to be able to bring the Korban Pesach. Especially when you consider what a Korban Pesach meant to them. That is the Korban that got them out of Egypt. You would think they'd be literally protesting in the streets. We need the opportunity to bring a Korban Pesach. It worked once for that small group of people. They got a, 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 a Pesach Sheni. Think about it. A small group of people complained we were left out. They, so to speak, changed the rules and accommodated them and gave them an opportunity. Can you only imagine? What would happen if the entire Jewish nation would complain? When they knew, or they would have known, that the restriction against bringing a Korban Pesach outside of Israel is not like any other mitzvah that has to be in Israel. And they would have said, If they would have complained and said, We want to bring the Korban Pesach. It's like we did last year or 10 years ago. They definitely would have, surely the Hebrew would have accommodated them. Surely. That's the criticism of the Jewish people. They spent 40 years in the desert and only brought the carbon Pesach once. What's the criticism? Had they complained, had they asked, you can assume, I said, they would surely have accommodated them and would have allowed them to bring the Korban Pesach and they didn't ask and we don't want to start the, the book of Bamidbar with such a, a blight on the Jewish record ah you'll ask a question where were their leaders why didn't they whisper in their ears guys make a protest maybe they will give us another version of Pesach Sheni so the question is, How come Moshe, Aaron, or any of the other leaders didn't do something to get the opportunity on behalf of the nation to bring the Korban Pesach? And the answer is fascinating because Jewish leadership is so subtle you have to be so careful that you don't do something that appears to be positive but actually reflects negatively on your constituents. Let's understand it from a deeper perspective. The objective, the role of a leader, a Jewish leader, specifically a Nasi, is primarily, and this is their entire focus, to think about the Yidden, and do things for the benefit of the Yidden. And we see precedent for this. Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to sacrifice his soul for the Yidden. Not just his physical life. He was willing to give up everything his whole neshama was about. When he said to the Hebrew, If you're not going to forgive the Jews, take me out of your Torah. Torah is Moshe's essence. That's a Jewish leader. Sacrifice everything to protect the people. Which we can apply to our story. It's not, we're speaking over here about the discredit of the Jewish people, but it's not one of these glaring issues. Because even in the Pesach Sheni scenario, it's not that they convinced David to introduce the carbon Pesach. All they succeeded in doing was having the opportunity to fill in the gap for those who missed the carbon Pesach that had already been brought. That's a little different to saying, now make a new rule that we can bring a carbon Pesach at a time where officially we cannot. So it's not the worst mistake of the Jewish people not to demand the carbon Pesach. Lidach, on the other hand, what would have happened if Moshe and Aaron had spoken up on behalf of the Jewish people and petitioned Hashem for the Korban Pesach? would have been successful. Not only successful that they in their personal capacity could bring the Korban Pesach, but that all Jews could bring the Korban Pesach. So that actually would have highlighted that how much the Jews had missed the mark. 
Because they would have then illustrated, you see, there is a way to get to bring this carbon. And yet the Jews didn't ask for it. That would have made the Jews look even worse. The fact that now the carbon never happened for 39 years, maybe we could have affected it, maybe we couldn't have. But if Moshe and Aaron get the carbon on behalf of the Jewish people, and then everybody says, so why didn't the Jewish people do the Pesach Sheni Lomini Gora thing and get it themselves? Moshe and Aaron are willing to take the personal fall on behalf of the community. Because they are the trusted leaders and shepherds of the Jewish people. So, um, so, vitru, sorry, I missed a word, vitru, so they were willing to compromise. Not to highlight any negative about the Jewish people. They were willing to compromise their own greatness. Something they weren't instructed to do. To affect the possibility of bringing a carbon Pesach through their request. Let's rather not say it. Let's rather not even cause the possibility of bringing a carbon we don't really have to bring. If we can avoid embarrassing or slighting or highlighting something negative about the Jews. Now we can go back to what Rashi said about how there is no Seder Muktam or because that speaks to the heart of this story of Pesach Sheni and the concept of asking Hashem for things that possibly we don't even realize we could ask for. Now we can look at the deeper message embedded in Rashi. This principle that out of all the places in the Torah where things are, play, are, are, are shared, out of the chronology, this is the one that Nilmad Lamad Tomi Parashazoidafka that we learn the principle that Torah does not have to be in order. Chiv Pesach Sheni, the entire concept of Pesach Sheni, Shachidosh of Parashazoid, which is the big innovation shared in this parasha. Ein in Yonai Koifan Achiv Pesach Rishon, Pesach Sheni is completely different to Pesach Rishon. Or Bechal Kashar Mitzvahs, actually, it's different to most mitzvahs. Why? Because most mitzvahs, Pesach Rishon, like every other mitzvah, there's a mandated protocol. This is how you're supposed to do it. These are the times you're supposed to do it. Follow these instructions, you do the mitzvah. What happens with Pesach Sheni? Pesach Sheni doesn't fit. It's not the time you're supposed to bring a carbon Pesach. And yet it was made available to those people who could not or chose not to bring the carbon at the right time. And the way this mitzvah comes about is completely different to any other mitzvah. Any other mitzvah, the Ebeshda tells us the mitzvah. Here he doesn't. Here the Ebeshda only reveals the mitzvah as a response to people who are complaining about their lack of opportunity to do the mitzvah. What does that all imply? This is the, this is the theme of tshuva. Tshuva is not the path of the person who serves the Ebishter in the so-called upright, straight and narrow way. says The way the Ebishter designed us to be, straight, upright, direct line. Tshuva is the path of the person who's fallen, who's failed, who's done something wrong. Elsewhere in gives a whole explanation about the deeper meaning of somebody who is that it's a, a, a spiritual aberration. Now we understand Rashi is alluding to something beyond just an interpretation of the story at face value. When he tells us that it's a discredit to the Jews, 40 years in the desert and the Jews only bring one carbon. Because what Rashi wants us to know is, to have had the opportunity, theoretically, to bring the carbon Pesach during the other 49 years, which is what we're criticizing them for not doing, would have also been to flip the natural order of how the Torah presents it. 
Number one, because there was no obligation to bring the Karim Pesach till they got to Israel. So if they would have brought the Karim Pesach in the desert, it would not be like an ordinary mitzvah. Like we see, even the one that they did bring was unique, was out of the box, it was different, was unexpected, because in the desert they are not required to bring a Karim Pesach. And the main reason why it's this this energy of tshuva or similar to to the Pesach Sheni or reversed order because in order to get it they would have had to request it demand it rather than just be given it as an instruction and the reason why they would have had to get the mitzvah only by asking for it or upending the ordinary process of a mitzvah if they were going to bring a carbon Pesach for the rest of the time in the desert is because who were the Jews in the desert? The time that they were in the desert beyond this initial period was because they had sinned. The only reason they're in the desert is because they followed the spies. And that is that's completely different to what kind of Jews brought the Korban Pesach the very first time in Egypt. Because who were they then? They were like newborns. The Navi Cheskel tells us this is the birth of the Jewish nation. They were pure. So the only option open to the Jewish people in order to facilitate the chance to bring the Quran Pesach for 39 other years in the desert would have had to be to flip the order of how things are. They would have had to do something which doesn't follow the normal incremental process like Tshuva that can be done in a moment in a flash. And for that, and from that, we get a powerful lesson that's relevant to us now. Absolutely, the, one of the key themes of our parasha is the power of saying, why should we lose out? Seeing as Torah is eternal, which means its lessons are eternal. The message of this parasha is relevant at all times, at all places, and especially to us now. It's relevant to our davening. We have to daven to the Ebishter in a way of Lomenigora. But most specifically, The heartfelt cry of every single Jewish person. Because the Gemara already attested to the fact that any barriers to Mashiach have passed. Therefore we have to cry out We have to cry out We need the Eibishter to send us the complete Geula immediately. To use language that we say in our davening. Three times daily during the week. We say every single day that we beg the Eivishter, bring, bring Moshiach Mehera, quickly. And the signature that you find in every single davening, not only during the week, but Shabbos and Yontav too, that the Eivishter should rebuild the Beis Hamikdash, Kipshutoi, that that should happen realistically, tangibly, immediately. That's what we have to demand. And we don't want any kind of gnus that we didn't ask for it. We have to ask. And Mitzvah Shem, the Ebishter will give it to us immediately.